0: Well, you actually don't have to, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You don't have to go to KSAT uh, to get information. All you have to do is talk to Pastor Lucy, uh, who's on the board and is on the staff of Lavish. Uh, She's a part of that ministry. And so this offering that we're about to receive is going to go towards helping them get the transitional housing that they need and uh, get them to the next phase in their ministry. Uh, listen, we have the opportunity to actually make a difference in our community. That's why we call it that, that this is such an important opportunity for us as a church. Uh, and so I'm going to pray for that offering. Ushers, go ahead and come, and hopefully you've been praying for the past few weeks and just asking God, what, what do you want us to do as a family, as a couple, as an individual? How do you want uh, me to give towards this ministry? Uh, and so I'm going to pray, and then we'll receive that, uh, that offering. Father, we... Uh, we just, first and foremost, we pray for Kayla, we pray for Pastor Lucy as they continue to, and all of their team, as they continue to just lead the way in this ministry. Lord, uh, y- you, you love these women, and, and Lord, there, there's just such this opportunity that, uh, that Scripture kind of refers to loving the least of these, and in our culture, in our society, there, there may be that stigma and, And yet, Lord, you see them as precious daughters, your daughters. And, Lord, let us be a a body, a church, be your hands and feet, be your resources to help continue to bring love and life into people's lives. Lord, I pray that you would use this offering to uh, go above and beyond anything they or we could ever dream or imagine that this would be just an absolute blessing for this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, ushers, go ahead. And then at the end of the message, we'll receive our regular tithes and offerings. You can drop your card at the second offering that we're going to do. If you're visiting with us, this is really one of two times throughout the year that we receive two offerings. Uh, and uh, and so this, you get to be here on the opportunity uh, for us during our Christmas season to give our Make a Difference offering. If you happen to be giving to the ministry. And uh, are doing so kind of as a Christmas gift. In our family, uh, one of the things that we'll do is rather than than giving gifts, going out and buying gifts uh, for some of our extended family, we actually make a donation to one of the uh, Make a Difference offerings that we're a part of uh, in the past and then this year with Lavish. Uh, And so there's these cards that are available to you at the welcome counter. Uh, so if you want to present this to someone as a gift, like a, that you've made a donation on their behalf uh, in, uh, to Lavish Ministry, you can pick these up at the welcome counter, as well as there's the little booklets that we received on that Sunday, uh, because obviously there'll be many who don't even know what Lavish Ministries is, and so you could grab some of those books, uh, put the I've made a donation on your behalf in the booklet, and give it to them as a gift. Uh, And, uh, listen, you you might think that people don't want that, uh, but in my experience, uh, more people are excited to get that kind of a gift than to get something that they're going to have to return. So, uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I won't even go there. The worst is when you get a gift that becomes a chore, Right? It's like, I don't want to go to Costco the day after Christmas to exchange this. Or even a week, I don't want to go to Costco, period, uh, to exchange this. Well, uh, we started a series last week called Comfort and Joy. And it's, uh, it's based on the, the, the famous Christmas carol, God Rest you Merry Gentlemen. And Last week, we talked about the difference between happiness and joy, and that uh, really those are two different things, that happiness is more uh, based upon our experiences, based upon the uh, outward uh, things that are going on in our life, uh, circumstances, and and really joy is something that comes from within. Uh, We talked about having gratitude, that joy comes when there's a gratitude and a thankfulness for the promises of God. And so... This past week, uh, it got me thinking about it. I was thinking about this idea of how being thankful for Jesus actually brings joy into our life. And uh, I had the privilege this past week to be with another one of our partner ministries, um, Medical Ministry International. And they were having their national uh, conference for all of their directors uh, in Colombia this year. And they invited me to come and share with them. And uh, they've had 50 years of ministry. Their first project started 50 years ago in the Dominican Republic. And and they, for 50 years, have bring, been bringing not just physical health, but spiritual health really to the world. Uh, they've now expanded. I think they're in 15 different countries. 10 of the countries were represented there. And Uh, And and they asked me to speak into their ministry and and the work that they're doing there. And it just was an honest privilege and and, and great opportunity for me to be able to do that. But it was interesting because I was... I was talking with uh, many of the directors that uh, have uh, ministries like what we support with MMI Colombia, Medical Ministry International Colombia. We have, uh, if you have been around our church for very long, you've heard from Juan Allen Munoz, who heads up MMI Colombia. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. But I got to meet uh, all of the different countries' version of Juan Allen. I got to meet the directors. And talk with them about their ministry and why they do their ministry and, uh, and what they're doing in their ministry. Some of the countries have clinics uh, that, uh, that are uh, subsidized by the international program in such a way that people can get basic health care. Uh, needs met uh, for them but in the process they get to share Jesus and as I was talking with all of these directors there there just seemed to be this continual theme in their life that there was they they just had a smile on their face there was joy that exuded from them and I I wondered where that joy came from Uh, on Wednesday I had the the opportunity to take the team from MMI Columbia out to dinner and the wonderful thing, this is just a, a life hack for you, is when you take people to dinner and you're paying for the dinner, you get to ask whatever questions you want, right? So, uh, so if you're ever like trying to get to the bottom of something, just take them to dinner, pay for it, and then you get to ask. So, uh, so I, was, I, I went around the table, there were seven of them from their team uh, along with me there at dinner, and I, I went around and I asked each of them, what brings joy into your life? not happiness, because I explained the previous message and I explained the difference between happiness and joy and all of that. And I said, what is it that actually brings joy into your life? And for every person, they went around and they started sharing about their life, about where they once were in their life and where they are now. They started to talk about how they used to live in this life, but now what God's done and the redemption that he's done in their life. And now where they are now and the opportunity that they have to not just be a forgiven people, but they have the opportunity to share what they have received with other people each and every day of their life. And every person went around and started sharing, and it was like they were sharing the same thing just with different stories. And it got me thinking about it because I recognize that there's some sort of correlation or connection between the joy that you see in their life and the love that they have for Christ. That there was something of a a genuine understanding of what God has done in their life that brings out this absolute depth of love for Jesus. So I went home on Wednesday night, and I was sitting in my room, and I had my own, my own space, and so I was sitting there, and I, I started praying, and and all of a sudden, I, I started kind of, I, I thought I was singing something that was spiritual, but then I just realized that it was the song by the Black Eyed Peas, Where's the Love, Y'all, that uh, that I kept saying that that phrase, where's the love, where's the love, That that, that there was something... Missing in in my life, that, that maybe the reason that I I struggle in this season or, or or during this this time to have joy is because maybe there's love that's missing. Now it, it's, it, see I I want I want the kind of of joy in my life. I want to have the kind of love that I I see in these people where where they. They love these people so deeply. It's not just caring because I recognize that I care. I care about people. I get emotional when I see people who are broken or who are hurting. And so there is this genuine caringness in my life. But there's there's something of a disconnect when it comes to a depth of love that these people are experiencing and how they how they treat and how they communicate to others that that I recognize I'm 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 missing something. And so I I just started asking God, where's where's the love? Where's the love in in my life? I, I I want a deeper. Love for people than maybe what i 'm currently experiencing, not because i 'm a pastor, right because I mean that there is this expectation or this uh, this thought that well shoot, if our pastor doesn 't love jesus we we got some big problems going on it 's not that i don 't love jesus i I do love Jesus, but i don 't know the the depth I, I feel like there's something. The, the love of Jesus has waned in my life. it is has it is, is faded in my life. And I, and I wonder if maybe some of you have experienced the same thing. And so I, I want this deeper love not because I'm, I'm a pastor of a church or a leader of a church. I, I want this kind of love because I'm a Christ follower. Because I actually believe what it is that I teach. See, we sing songs with with lyrics like, "God, break my heart for what breaks yours." Right? We we sing songs with lyrics that say, "Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I, I want to see you." We sing songs that, that say, "Help me to ha- help my eyes to be open to see people the way that you see people." And and we see those. We we sing those songs over and over and over again at times and. And yet I wonder if maybe we're missing something of a deeper level of love than just singing the songs and hoping that they happen. John chapter 15 verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you that that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I want our joy to be full. I want my joy to be full. I I don't know about you, but... But this Christmas season, I don't want to go another Christmas season not full of his joy in my life. I just don't. I don't want to get caught up in the pettiness and the the materialism and and all of the things and the busyness and the crazy. I just want to have the joy of the Lord in my life. And so what does it take to receive that kind of depth of joy? I think it requires potentially for some of us, myself included, to fall in love with Jesus all over again. See, I think what can happen is that over time we, we neglect our relationship with Christ, just like we neglect our relationships with people. Or, better yet, we, we, take, we take advantage, or we take for granted, I should say, our relationships with people. I don't know about you, but I take for granted the fact that uh, my wife picks up after me. <laughs> like, I, I was gone for the week. I came back, and I came home, and she's been cleaning the house, and she's been d- shuttling our kids everywhere. She's been single-momming it all, all week, and I, I take for granted how much she does for me and for our kids, Maybe you do the same, maybe you take for granted your spouse because you've been in a relationship so long and you just do things and you, things just happen and, and so you, you take that for granted and I wonder how many of us take for granted our relationship with Christ, with Jesus. That we've been in this relationship for so long that, that it seems like we just, we, we've forgotten, we've forgotten what it was to experience forgiveness and grace in our life. And so we've taken for granted and somehow we've just allowed this love of Jesus to begin to to fade into the background. See, I think it can happen to all of us. And when when that happens, when we begin to neglect our relationship with Christ, it doesn't just affect our joy, it affects everyone around us. There are two foundational commands that we see in Scripture. You could say that they're demands, right? We all know how Jesus answers the question, what's the first and greatest commandment? Maybe we don't all know this, but many of us will know this, that, that when Jesus is asked the question, what's the first and greatest commandment? His response is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Some of your translations may even say strength, right? That that loving God with your heart and all that you are is the first and greatest demand of Jesus. And then in Matthew 10, verse 37, it says, Whoever loves your father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And Jesus goes on to say, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So you have these these two very powerful, like, life-transforming commands, that you're to love God the Father with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And then you're to love Jesus more than you love your parents, more than than you love your children, more than you love anything. And so that brings up some questions in my mind. We're familiar with the passage, but let's be honest, we skip over it because we don't like the thought of having to actually place Christ above our children. So it brings some questions up. What's this relationship between this love, this love of God... This love of Christ, and this love with our children and our, and our parents, and what, what does that look like? Well, Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 42, he, he looks into the eyes of, of some Pharisees, some religious people. These are Jewish leaders, right? I mean, these guys, they know the, the Torah, they, know, they, they absolutely are familiar with religious things. And Jesus looks them straight in the eye and he says something to them that that really was pretty shocking. He says, If God were your father, you would love me. See, he's saying something to, to some of the most God oriented, Old Testament knowledgeable people in the world, and saying to them, You don't actually know God. He's not your father. In fact, he goes on to say, oh, and by the way, your father, your father is the devil. And they're like, excuse me? You know, like, they're looking at him, and they're probably, their jaws are open, like, who do you think you are? Where Jesus is saying, you don't even know him. He's not your father. And this is so Crazy that, that he, would, he would test them in this way. So what, what is the, the test for knowing whether somebody actually loves God? Well, the answer is, do they love Jesus? See, he's talking to the Pharisees and, and Jesus is saying, you don't love God because you don't love me. Do people embrace Jesus for who he really is? Not, not just as a, a human teacher, not just as some prophet who's, who's done some amazing things while on this earth. No, do we see him as the very son of God? John chapter 5 says, Jesus says to those same leaders, he says, I know you don't have the love of God in you because I've come in my father's name and, and you don't receive me. The implication here is that you don't have the love of God in you. And he knows that because they didn't love him, they didn't receive him. Loving Jesus is the test of whether you love God. And loving God is the test of whether you love Jesus. It's it's one and the same. And and what we're talking about this morning is not just believing in God. We're not talking about just coming to church and, yeah, I believe there's a higher power. Yeah, I believe that, that Jesus was this amazing person. We're talking about a depth of love for Christ. The reason why this is important is because if we love Jesus the most, then we'll love others the best. Paul talks a lot about joy in, in the book of Philippians, but he refers to joy when he refers to joy, when he's talking about other people. He's referring to a joy in Christ as, as a need in order to love people. So if we ask the question of ourselves, like, why is it that I, just, I struggle loving people? It's because you need to love Jesus more. You need more of, of Christ in your life. See, his, his love of other people is coming out of his love of Christ. And, and it's really targeted at, at some, a deeper level, at a depth of greater joy in Christ. If someone says, you know what, they, they come up to you and say, I don't feel loved when you talk that way, or, or I feel like, like you are using me when you, when you speak, with me, uh, speak at me that way. When, when you talk that way. Why would someone say that to you? If you're being accused of, of being hateful or being uh, abusive with your language. If you're being accused of not being very loving or compassionate in your language. Why would someone say that? Maybe it's because our love of Jesus has waned. See, for, for Paul, the greatest joy lives in seeing and knowing and, and, and re- relating to, to the greatest person who's ever walked this earth in Jesus Christ. Paul believed that song that we, we sang earlier, that Jesus is all satisfying. That we can find all of our satisfaction in him. And that's what he wants for other people because he knows if, if, if we have such a love of Christ that he is the priority in our life, we will love people the way that God's called us to. If we're being honest, we struggle to love people because we don't love Jesus. So what's the, the nature of this love? What does this love look like? Because I, th- I think many of us would say, wow, this is, this, is, this is a little bit heavy. This is a little bit more than I expected on a Christmas series. But, but what does that love look like? Because most of us would say we, we want that, that kind of love in our life. We want to have a love of Christ. Do, do you love Jesus by, by just doing what he says to do? Right By just following what it is that he says. Or, or is this love a, a deeper love? Is it, does it have to do with your heart? Does it have to do with your soul and affection and, uh, and emotion and relationship? He says, if you love your mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. That means he's actually thinking of your love for Jesus... In the same context, in the way that you think of your love for your children, I don't know how things are in your home, uh, but in in my home, uh, I don't. My love of my children is not dependent upon what they tell me to do. In fact, I don't know what the opposite of this is, but when they start telling me what to do, it's kind of the opposite of love, right? I mean, it's like I, I it creates emotion, that's for sure, but. But no, I don't, I don't love my children in such a way that they are telling me what to do. And here's the thing is I don't love my children based upon them doing what I tell them to do. That's not the basis of love. The basis of love for my children is, is this idea that I, I treasure my children. they're the most important things like they're they're such a treasure that I would never sell them most days no I'm just kidding no I would never I would never not for billions of dollars I would never sell my children why? because they're such a treasure to me I would die for my children why? because they're precious because they're a treasure. But what that scripture says is that if Jesus isn't a better treasure, if he isn't a, a higher treasure than your children, you're not worthy of Jesus. Some people make the argument that, that love can't be a, a, an emotion or it can't be affection because you, you can't command emotion or affection. Some people make this argument. And, and I, just, I, I disagree with it. I, I don't think it's right because Jesus commands emotions all the time. The Bible is filled with these commands of emotions that we should fear, that we should be thankful, that we should be compassionate, that we should be earnest, that we should hope. That all of those things are emotions that come out of us. So, so of course God has the right to command emotions. It's really up to us if we are healthy enough to re- receive that command and walk that command out. So is, is our love for Jesus just about doing things? I, I would say no. No. In your notes, the question is, isn't love for Jesus more than just doing? I would say yes to that question. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this is the passage of Scripture that says, see, it says right there that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's how you prove your love to God is if you keep my commandments. The problem is, is that's not really what that says. It doesn't say that love is obedience. Right? It's not feeling any particular thing or emotion towards Jesus. It's just doing what he says. That, that's, not, that's not what that says. See, what it says is, look at the first part. It says, if you love me. If you love me, then you'll do the other things that are called keeping my commandments. We put the emphasis on the back end. We say, well, if you, I'm going to keep the commandments, and that will prove that I love Jesus. And instead it says, no, no, how about if you love me? Let's start with the love. Treasure me, treasure me above all else. And and here's the thing is when we do that, when we treasure him first and foremost, we will do the other things that are called keeping his commandments. Loving Jesus is, is a deeper foundational thing that should be transformative in our life if you have found yourself feeling like I'm just kind of the same as I was last year at this time maybe we need to fall in love with Jesus again what's the nature of this love I mean obviously it does include obedience but it shouldn't be less than anything but being transformed by God being changed, treasuring, ad- admiring, like loving and delighting, and being as the song said, satisfied by the most beautiful treasure in the world. Paul says the nature of love in Philippians three eight is I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He goes on in Galatians chapter 3, and he kind of addresses this idea that, that maybe it's just the, the obedience factor. If I were to just do more good things, that, that then that would prove my love to God and, and to Jesus. But he, he's addressing the, the Galatian church, and, and he's, he's saying to them, because he's upset with them, he says, you've turned away from this idea that your salvation, your love of God is birthed out of faith. That somehow you fell into this trap that uh, this really, it's a it's a false teaching that even today we experience is that is that your life your Christian life began with faith it began with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life but somewhere along the way you've traded faith and Christ and the Holy Spirit for the flesh. For what you can do. See, there's all kinds of things that we can do in this life that don't need the love of Christ. We can actually do a collection and a donation for a make a difference offering and not need Christ. We can feed the poor. We can take care of those who are in need. We can do those things and not need a love of Jesus. And I know this because it exists. You can find organizations that are helping those who are in need, and Christ is not at the center of that. There is no need for the love of Jesus. You can find organizations that go into the world and bring health care to the masses in in impoverished countries that don't have a love of Jesus that exists. What can happen if we aren't careful is we can move from this this experience of, of faith and Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit and the transformation that takes place. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the lines, we, we say, okay, I'm done with that, and now I'm just going to walk the rest of this out. I'm just going to go to church more. I'm just going to give more. I'm just going to serve more. I'm going to do all of the things that seem like really good things. But forget what it is to be in love with Jesus. You can hear Paul's Paul's passion here. He says the Christian life is supposed to be lived every single day the same way that it started. If I were to go around the room and ask every person about the time in which you first surrendered your life to Christ there would be emotion there and there would be joy and yet somewhere along the way we forget what it was like to have that joy this has been this has been my issue right this is this, is, this isn't just a a condemnation on us as a church or as Christians this is it's so easy to fall into this especially when you first surrender your life to Christ so long ago and and, and you forget the the tra- the transformation that takes place from that moment and now you begin just living your life and, and it's easy for me to just say, okay, well, I can do this. I can do that. I can teach on Sunday mornings. I can, I can do the work of the ministry. And somehow along the way, there's been this transformation that says, the more I do, the more I love God. The more I love his son, Jesus Christ. And that's a lie. It's a lie. It, in this Christ-centered life as a, as a Christian, you don't graduate from, from the Spirit into the flesh. The, the Christian life begins with this, this point of faith and this point of the Holy Spirit. Faith is like, is like the first grade of our Christian life. But here's the thing is faith is also the graduate school of our Christian life. It doesn't stop the work of the Holy Spirit that took place in the first grade, that is our teacher and our teacher doesn't leave us at some point. Our teacher is all along the way till the very end, teaching us and equipping us. We have the spirit and faith and they're brought together. And, and, and the question is, is how do these two relate to one another? Well, If love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians 5, and love is the fruit of our faith, Galatians 5, then what what that means is is that the Holy Spirit and our faith, our trust in God, our, our belief that he will never leave us or forsake us, this idea that we continually walk every day of our life, not in our own abilities, but only in the grace and the forgiveness of Christ. what does that mean then for us when we say we want to love people more? Where does that love come from? This this idea that we would treasure Christ above everything else. Well, love only comes from love. There's a story in uh, Luke chapter seven. Jesus... It's a story about a Pharisee who's invited Jesus, this religious guy's invited Jesus into his home to come to dinner. And, and Jesus arrives, he walks through the door, and the man who is hosting him, the man whose home it is, he, he doesn't kiss Jesus, he doesn't greet him with a kiss, he, he doesn't do anything to show affection, he doesn't even wash his feet, which would have been somewhat customary of the time. And, and so he just, he, Jesus just walks in. Right? And all of a sudden there's this woman of the street, this, uh, for all intents and purposes, this prostitute comes in and, and she's there and she's leaning over Jesus and she's at his feet and her, she's weeping and her tears are dropping onto his feet and, and she's cleaning his feet with her hair. This is like, this scene is, is so incredibly uh, provocative. It's It's scandalous. And this this Pharisee is kind of watching this whole thing take place where this prostitute's in here. And not only should she not even be there, but she shouldn't be touching an, a man, especially a holy man. And here she is, and she's she's weeping and she's wiping his feet with her tears. And and the and you could just see the judgmentalism on this Pharisee's face, and, and his head's just he's like fuming, and you know his head's just gonna explode with judgment. And he says to Jesus, he says, if you were a prophet, you would know what kind of woman this is. And then almost with like an accent, she's a sinner, right? She's a sinner. That's what I hear. She's a sinner. And Jesus tells this story to the pharisee he looks up at her after he just has judged this woman and he looks up at the pharisee and he tells him a story and he says a man had two debtors one owed him $5000 one owed him five he gave them He forgave them both, both of those debts. Who will love him more, he asks the Pharisee. And the Pharisee says, uh, he's like, this isn't a hard one. Uh, Certainly the one who had his larger debt canceled. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right. You're, You're completely correct on this. He says, when I came through your door, you didn't kiss me. You didn't wash my feet. But from the time I came in, this woman has wept at my feet, dried my, my feet with, with her hair, and, and washed them with her tears. And why would that be? Because she's been forgiven a huge debt. So where does love come from? It comes from being stunned by being loved by God. This love comes from from being overwhelmed by the the, the person of Jesus who, who died on our behalf, rose again, and we didn't deserve it at all. And when that grips us, we begin to understand what it is to treasure Christ above everything else. Step on some toes this morning if I haven't already. I think part of the challenge is is we don't actually think that we need his forgiveness. See, I think we live in a culture and and certainly in a in a society, at least in South Texas and in this community, that we're good people. Like when people talk about, about the South, they're like, they're nice people, they're good people. They have morals, they got ethics, they got they're good people. They're even nice. Most of the time, unless it's the Christmas season at Costco, they're nice. <laughs> but I think at the root of our of our soul, that maybe part of the reason we don't love Jesus in the way in which we, we treasure him the most is because we don't really think there's a whole lot to be forgiven of. I'll, I'll speak for myself. I've lived a, a fairly... Uneventful life. I haven't done the drugs, right? I, I grew grew up with my my parents, and they were loving people. I've, I made a couple mistakes in high school, just a couple, and but I think there was such a, a religiousness and such a, a pride in my life, and my mom could attest to the pride that was in my life that I, I never, even when I experienced. When I experienced salvation, when I understood it, looking back as I reflect on that moment, I don't know if I actually thought that I needed it. Did I want it for the future? Did I want it? Did I think it was the right direction? Of course, of course. But I'm not sure I experienced the kind of forgiving of a debt that this woman has experienced. I look, of course, I look back at my life now and I, I, <laughs> I think what an idiot I was. And I, and I look back and, and can now realize the depth of the forgiveness of debt in my life. But if we're not careful, we will go through this life never believing we actually need it. And we'll never truly love Jesus because of it. So how important is this? Well, Jesus says that if you don't love me more than you love your parents, you're not worthy of me. If you don't love me more than you love your children, you're not worthy of me. What does that mean? What does it mean not to be worthy of him? It means that you won't have him. It means if you don't love Jesus, you won't have Jesus. Jesus. Paul says it says it like this. He says, "He he who does not love the Lord, let him be a curse." That's what Jesus says, not me. First Corinthians sixteen twenty two. He or excuse me, that's what Paul says, uh, not me. He who does not love the Lord, let him be a curse. Being a Christ follower, follower is is what Jesus. What Jesus demands of us is, is not this, this decision to, I'm going to love Jesus today. That comes, that comes later where there ends up being like some, some decisions and some, some, some decisions of the will. But, but at the root and at the core of our Christ-centered life is this new birth that takes place. A transformation that, that happens in our life. Th- that we all of a sudden reprioritize and reshift the things of our life to make sure that our first love, Jesus Christ, is at the top. That he is our, our greatest treasure of all. If that fullest love isn't for Jesus, if we've allowed other things to, to take that place, Paul says, well, Jesus says this too, that we're not worthy of him. Being worthy of Jesus doesn't mean that we're, we're necessarily deserving of Jesus. It just means that we are forgiven that we're a, a, a redeemed person. That we can now be in his presence because of our forgiveness and our grace that we've received. So what he's saying is if, if you want to be more loving of people, and he, all of this is really answering the question that as I was sitting in my room on Wednesday night, asking God, where is the love in my life? why do I find myself, I care about people, but I don't love them necessarily to the extent at which I want. If he says, if you want to be more loving of people, if if you want there to even be more visible demonstration of your love towards people, if you want to be more open to those people who are are different than you, that maybe aren't, aren't necessarily the same, do you If you want to have a heart that that is more caring and compassionate for those who are hurting. If you want to have a heart to, the scripture says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you want to be less self-absorbed and less tied to the to the things of this world and more free to to risk more free to step out for me honestly one of the one of the the primary treasures that gets placed above Christ in my life is me it's me i wake up and i think about me I think about my day, what, what, how is it going to affect me? What are the, who's going to affect me? What's going to happen in my life? It's a, it's a self-absorption that I don't want in my life. What's it going to take to live that kind of life? Well, it has to be our goal that every day, every day, we are filled with, with the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. That we are filled again and again and again with the Holy Spirit. If you think it's enough to just surrender your life to Christ and receive the Holy Spirit and then just be done, listen, we leak. We leak. We forget. Every day we receive more of the Holy Spirit in our life Every day we are, are filled with more of the trust and putting our faith in Christ who loves us, who promises to forgive us, who promises us to cleanse us, as Scripture says, from all unrighteousness, to take us all the way to the end. And then we, we make our goal every day to spend time in His Word you say, well, why? What, what does that matter? How does that even have to do with loving Jesus? Well, Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you want to fall more deeply in love with Jesus, start reading about all of the things he's done to show you his love. The question for all of us this morning as we go into this Christmas season is, do we love Jesus? Do, do we, have we found our, our, ourselves allowing our love for Christ to fade into the background or do we right now so passionately and so deeply love him? We're about to receive our communion this morning and and one of the ways in which Christ expressed his love for us is through the sacrifice of the crucifixion on the cross. No greater love has a man than he lay down his life for his friend. That is the epitome of love is that Christ died on the cross for us. And do we love him for that? When we receive the little the little cup of juice and the little gluten-free cracker, and, and we, we say a prayer and we, we eat it and we drink it, is it out of a deep love of Christ or is it because it's just what we do? It's just, it's just another thing that we do. We, we come to church, we, we, we sing the songs, we hear a message, we give of our offerings, we have communion once a month. It's just another thing that we do. No, it's not another thing that we do. It's a demonstration of our love to him. It's a demonstration of our appreciation of what it is that he did on the cross for us. I want us to pray. And, and if this message was just for me, and that, then so be it. And maybe it's a confession more than a message. But my guess is that there's a, a f- more than a few of us who who have who've walked a very long time in a... Christian life and have forgotten what it was to be deeply, madly in love with Jesus. God, for every soul that's in this room, everyone watching online, Lord, that that this would just be a moment, a moment of reflection, an inventory of where our priorities lie, an inventory of of what takes precedence in our life. And God, in some ways, maybe this moment is a reprioritizing of things and a, a recommitment of our love to you. Our love for you. This isn't just about being good people or doing good things. This is about our love for you and in turn, how that communicates our love for people. I want to receive the fullness of your joy this Christmas season, Jesus. And that comes through falling in love with you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in just a moment, uh, we're going to receive communion. I'm going to invite the ushers to come. We're going to we're going to receive our offering. Then I'll give you some instructions on communion. This is our regular tithes and offerings. We do this every week. Let me we pray for that, Father. We, um, as we receive this part of of our worship, as we as we give of our tithes and our and our offerings, Lord. Again, this isn't, this isn't like communion where it just, it, or like what we make communion where it just is this other thing that we do or this ritual or, or if I just give more, then, then maybe that'll express my love to God more or something along those lines. This is really an act of surrender. And God, it's a recognition that you are the primary treasure in our life. That even in the midst of our actual physical treasure, our resources, our our money, that that is below you. That you take precedence over even that, over our provision. And a lot of the reason for that is because we recognize that everything that we have, all of the treasures, all of, as we sang earlier, the fountains that we have really are in you, are from you. And so when we give this morning, we don't give out of religion or compulsion or guilt. We give in an understanding that you are first and foremost our greatest treasure in this life. And God, I pray that you would just continue to do the miraculous. That Lifehouse Church would continue to make a difference, not just in our community, but in our world. Lord, that we would see... Lives transformed. We would see marriages restored and and lives changed. God, that, that that could all take place through this ministry in Jesus' name, Amen. Ushers, go ahead. You can drop your your card in there as well. And as the basket goes by, uh, you can go ahead and stand. And, and we're gonna we're gonna make our way to to these tables. And so much of of Church these days is uh, come and receive come and sit come and be told and one of the things that we we do is we, we we get you out of your seat for this because there's something powerful that takes place when we when we go when we step out of receiving and we go to the lord's table and we we pick up a, a little piece of bread and, and a piece of and a cup of juice and and we go find a place in this room, or we go and and find another person. That there's there's something of an importance that takes place when we when we go and we do that. This isn't just another thing to receive, but actually something to to appreciate and to be a part of. And so I want to I want to pray for our our communion this morning, and and my hope is that. That today, maybe more than any other day, communion means something a little bit different to you in regard to your love of Jesus. That there would be an inventory that takes place, that there would be a recognition of, have I allowed my love of Jesus to fade? Why don't you stand? Father, we... Your word tells us, you, you, you say, actually, Jesus says to go and do this as often as you can. And and in LifeHouse we do it once a month and again it can just be this thing that we do or it can actually be a sacrament as your word talks about. It's this this sacrament that takes place, this sacred act of recommitment, of of a reevaluation of the vows that we've said to you so long ago that every time we we gather, every time that we wake up in the morning, every time we receive communion in this way, we get to remind not only ourselves, but we get to remind you of how much we love you and how thankful we are for the sacrifice of your son for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Make your way to the tables. and.